Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the word. This morning, uh, we are going to wrap up our current series that's entitled A Heart That Gives. So if you take a note, this is uh, part four. Uh, through this series, we have been really digging into God's word, see what he has to say about generosity. Because we, as basically as God's kids, man, we just believe that God wants us to be generous with our time, with our energy, with our talents, our possessions, and yes, even our finances. So uh, even though I know this is not like the easiest topic, uh, man, I just want to thank you all for, for hanging in there with us and and processing this because I know this isn't easy. There's just something about, man, when we do it God's way, man, our lives change. And, uh, you know, even sitting back, you know, singing that song there, he's perfect in all his ways, man. Like, do we really believe that in all of his ways towards us that, yes, even includes our finances? I believe, I believe that is true. Yes. Amen. Amen. All right. So to get us off and running, I want us to begin by looking at a portion of scripture that my hope is, is that this will challenge us, but at the same time, it will build our faith. And so let's look at this together. John chapter 12, we're going to read verses one through eight. It says six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. It says the dinner was prepared in Jesus's honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. And then it says, then Mary, that's Martha and Lazarus' sister, took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. And then it says in verse 4, but Judas, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And then it gives us a glimpse of kind of what Judas's motive was in saying that. It says in verse 6, not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money bag, he often stole some for himself. And then Jesus said this to him, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When I was uh, 20 years old, I, I had the privilege to intern with an evangelist for a summer. And so for three months, me and five other folks, we, we, we traveled around the country as this guy preached at different churches and youth camps. I mean, the summer, it was, it was incredible. You know, I can say this looking back all these years later, it changed my life. Uh, but one of the things that that evangelist uh, said almost everywhere we went that has stuck with me through the years, he would say this almost everywhere. He would say, there are two types of people in this world. There are givers and there's takers. And then he would pause briefly and he would ask the question, which one are you going to be? See, when I read this story from John chapter 12, in my opinion, it's easy to see the two types of people that the evangelist talked about. Like on one hand, you have Mary, who clearly represents the givers in this world. And then you have Judas, who obviously represents the takers. Now, I don't think it's you know, that difficult to see that the difference between the two couldn't be any more striking. 
See, on one hand, we have Mary, like at a certain point in the evening, you know, she enters into the room. She's holding what is known as an alabaster jar that contains a very costly perfume. And without basically paying attention to anybody else in the room, she approaches Jesus. And to everyone's surprise, she breaks the box over Jesus' head. And she begins to pour perfume on his head and on his feet. And then she gets down on her knees and she begins to humbly wipe his feet with her hair. Pretty amazing, yeah? So in my opinion, like that is a breathtaking illustration of what pure, genuine, authentic, heartfelt worship really looks like. So if I can maybe put that moment uh, into perspective for you and I so we, so we kind of get what happened. Like the Bible tells us that that, that perfume cost, it was worth a, a full year's wages. So if you can in your mind, like go ahead and think about how much money you made last year. If you're married, think about how much money you and your spouse made last year. Like go down to the very penny of how much you think you earned last year. Hold that there, right? Now imagine giving all of that, that amount, whatever it is, away in a moment just because you love Jesus. Like that's what she did. She was willing to give everything she had in order to bless him. It's what some people would call an extravagant gift of love. Now, I believe some of the synonyms of generosity not only describe who Mary was, but also think they depict, you know, really who every giver is. Let me show them them to you really quick. These are synonyms for generosity. Big-hearted, unselfish, charitable, benevolent, kind, sympathetic, compassionate, hospitable, extravagant, good-hearted, and probably my favorite, open-handed. Now, I think it's interesting that Webster's Dictionary actually uses the word as a synonym to describe a generous person. It it uses the word Samaritan. It's in reference to, obviously, the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. Once again, they're using that to describe a generous person. But here's what blows my mind, guys, is while, while this amazing scene of worship, of extravagant love is taking place, like you got Judas just standing there. Like he's got a front row seat as Mary expresses her love to Jesus. And, and to understand from Judas's standpoint, that's not just some random dude. Like, like this is the very man that's taught him, loved him, accepted him, trusted him for years. Like this is the guy that, that literally that, that Judas watched display like so many acts of kindness. He saw that guy perform miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And he was even there when Peter said, thou art the son of the living God. So he knew that is God in the flesh. Yet in that moment, all that Judas could think about was this, is how what she was doing wasn't benefiting him. See, he sees this moment of perfume being poured out, you know, soaking into the ground, however you want to look at it. Basically, he saw that as a missed opportunity because why couldn't she sell it and put the money in the bag? Why? Because he had access to the bag. He knew if I can get it, I can steal it, right? So it's because of this, I believe, some of the antonyms of generosity not only describe who Judas is, but every taker in the world. Let's look at them. Selfish. Cheap. Petty. Frugal, you didn't know that that wasn't a compliment, did you? (laughs) Stingy, small-hearted, miserly, uncharitable, hoggish. That sounds so Southern to me. (laughs) Begrudging, coveting, envious, resentful, my favorite, tight or closed 
fisted. Once again, what's interesting here is Webster's Dictionary actually uses the word mercenary to describe a person who isn't generous. And the reason is because a mercenary always has a what's in it for me attitude. That's the heart of a taker. What is in this for me? So once again, here's this woman pouring her love out on, on Jesus. And this guy is just still sitting back after three years or whatever it was. Is, is what's in it for me? Like, what a vast difference between the Marys and the Judases, the givers and the takers, right? Like, once again, the givers, here they are, man. They, they, have the, they have a right heart posture, the right mindset, and they have a clear revelation of who Jesus is and who they are called to be in him. Therefore, they're generous and they're open-handed. But on the other hand, you got takers who have a wrong heart posture, a wrong mindset, and clearly they lack a true revelation of who Jesus is and who they are called to be in him and through him. Therefore, they are stingy and they're closed-fisted. Now, when I look at this story, there's something I find really interesting because if your brain works like mine, I always want to know, well, why did Mary give such an extravagant gift to Jesus? Like, I want to know the why. And I believe the answer is this, is if you back up actually from John chapter 12, go back a chapter to John chapter 11, we find out why. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with John chapter 11, if you remember what happened there, but that's where Jesus actually raised Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, from the dead. And see, I believe that in response of what happened, of that miracle taking place, of what Jesus did for her brother and what he did for, for her family, I think Mary chose to give her best gift of gratitude, her best gift of love, her best gift of worship in return to him. In other words, she said, he did that for me, man. What's the best thing I can do for him? It's this. Now, as I say that, once again, I want to make this really practical to you and I. I, I realize that more than likely, nobody in the room has probably ever had a brother that died and sat in the tomb for four days and, you know, started rotting. And then Jesus walked up and said, Lazarus, come out. Right? Like, I get that. Okay? But I want to encourage us to remember this. Is that if you're here today and you say that you love Jesus, if you say that you are born again, if you say that you are a Christian, then, then spiritually speaking, my friend, you are the one that's been risen from the dead. See, that's why Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 2. He said this. He said, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins. Y'all remember those days, right? It says, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Verse 6, for he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places. Like, Hallelujah. So in light of that verse, can I just suggest to you, I think, I'm crazy enough to believe that just because you and I are born again, that we should have the same heart posture that Mary had. Because she gave us an example, like, man, we, we need to see that generosity flows from a grateful heart. And if you are born again in this place, you should be very, very, very grateful. Let me give you another example of this. Luke chapter 19. I'm going to go fast here. Obviously, Jesus is entering Jericho as he's walking through the town. Uh, there was this man named Zacchaeus, and the Bible says that he was a chief tax collector. We could put the words, he was the chief taker of the city. Because this dude took from everybody so much so he became the richest fellow in town, right? Because he knew Jesus was coming. He tried to take a look, but we know the story. He was short, and so he, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he decided to climb a sycamore tree uh, beside the road. As Jesus was walking by, Jesus looked up in the tree, called him by name, and told him to come down and said, Hey, today I'm coming to your house. And and then it says that Zacchaeus quickly climbed down the tree and he took Jesus to his house with excitement and joy. 
Now, I want you to watch what happened after this man had an encounter with Jesus. It says in verse 8, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said this. Y'all help me out. He said, I will what? Come on, one more time. I will what? I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will do what? I will give them back four times as much. And because of that, notice what Jesus said. Today, today salvation has come into this home. See, generosity not only flows from a grateful heart, but it also flows from a changed heart. And if you and I are born again in this place, we should have both. We should have a changed heart because the Bible says it gives us a new heart and a new spirit when we get born again. And secondly, we should have a grateful heart because of what he did for us. Because the reality is we didn't deserve it. Right? All right, now let me insert one more thought here before we move on. Uh, I realize that there's people that may argue with that, uh, this, and if you do, that's cool, okay? You go talk to Pastor Tommy and argue with him. Um, he loves arguing, not really. But, but here's what I believe, and I think the Bible backs it up, is I believe that all of us are born more like Judas than we realize. See, this is why it isn't unusual to hear kids say things like this. That's mine. I want it. Give it to me. It's not fair. Right? That typically happens after their sibling gets something that they wanted. Life's not fair. Right? Like, that's why most kids really, really struggle with sharing. Or why they uh, tend to snatch things away from each other when they want something. Right? Your kids don't do that, do they? No. So here's the truth. Let me say this, and, and I, there's kind of being funny, but the reality is, is I've met adults like that. And so, like, if we won't admit it or not, this is proof that we are all born with a predisposition to be takers. Like, we're all born with what the Bible calls a fallen nature, and at the heart of a fallen nature is a tendency to be selfish. That's why when you and I leave this place and we enter into our region, man, we understand that we live in an entitled, independent, greedy, me-first culture. All right? But here's what I don't want us to miss, okay? Is that even though we are born with the taker's heart, according to the Bible, the moment that you and I say yes to Jesus, like Zacchaeus, the Holy Spirit begins to transform our hearts, right, from being a taker to being a giver. It's called the sanctification process that we all go through. Now, obviously, the process will go as quick as we allow him to take it, Right? So the thing is, though, it's like, like, that's why most of us in this room, like I'm reading this story out of John 12, and you say, well, I don't fully identify with Mary. Like, I don't see myself completely like that, but you don't completely identify yourself with Judas. You think you're a little bit better than him. Okay, and what I'm trying to say is that most people in this room, because we're in that process, we're somewhere in between those two. Is that true? Yes. Listen, because that's true, that means this. It means that there's room for you and I to grow in our understanding of who God is and who he has called us to be in him. It just means we're in process. It's a good thing, right? And so because of that, what I want to do for the next few minutes is I actually want to, I want to unpack the difference between a taker and a giver a bit more. Even though you may not fully see yourself as this, you may not fully see yourself as that, I still want to talk about those things because I want you to see kind of where you're at on that spectrum. If you're with me, say, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Some of these things are going to be kind of a given, and, and some of them are things maybe you've never thought of before. And the last one is probably going to be pretty strong, so just get ready. Here we go. Number one. Y'all okay? Y'all live? Yeah. 
Amen. Number one, if you're taking notes, takers are never satisfied, but givers are content. Takers are never satisfied, but givers are content. Listen to what Solomon, the wisest man outside Jesus that ever lived, listen to what he said. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Says those who love money will never be satisfied, or as another translation says, they'll never be happy with the money they have. Then it says, those who love wealth, that's material possessions, will not be satisfied even when they get more and more and more and more and more. So that's a taker. Now let's look at a giver. First Timothy chapter six. We've read this a few weeks ago. It says, yet true godliness with what? Somebody say contentment. Amen. Contentment is itself great wealth. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay, what another translation says. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave. Watch this. So if we have enough food and enough clothing, enough, in other words, if our needs are being met, let us be content. Here's the point I want to make to you is that if we are never satisfied, if you and I are never content, if we're never happy with the things that the Lord has already given us, how in the world are we ever going to become generous people? Right, like if our mind is constantly on get, 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 buy, 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 more, 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 then how will we ever live with an open hand and an open heart to give when Jesus wants us to? See, at, at the core of a taker, they're this. They're selfish. So all they think about is what I'm going to get. So every dime that comes in their hand, they think about how they're going to spend it on themselves. So a little side note here is simply this, that generosity flows from a godly, content heart. See, that's why Proverbs 21 tells us this. It says some people, that's talking about the takers, some people are always greedy for more but the godly or those who are content love to give. They love. It's a fr they freely do it, right? They freely give. All right, number two. This is going to be maybe a little bit different wording than what you're used to, but I'll try my best to explain it. Number two, takers eat their seed, but givers sow it. Takers eat their seed, but givers sow it. I recently read a story about a young couple. They basically had no money, no savings. They didn't have anything. And, and in their first year of marriage, out of nowhere, uh, the husband received a, a really large bonus from his job. And in fact, it was such a large amount of money, they had never seen that sum of money before in their lives. And so as you can expect, you know, here's this couple, man. They're, they're beyond excited. They're pumped, especially since they didn't have anything. Uh, but kind of when the, the euphoria of, wow, that just happened, wore off, uh, even though they had lots of needs personally, and even though they, they were dreaming of a lot of ways they could spend all that money, uh, they somehow knew in their hearts, because they were believers, that that money wasn't for them. And so what they did was they went to their pastor and they said this. They said, we don't know specifically who or what this is for, but we want to give this money. And here's what the pastor said when they said that. He said, yesterday I met with a widow in our church. She told me if she couldn't come up with a certain amount of money, her house is going to be taken away from her. The amount she needs to the penny is the amount of this check. Y'all, that's how God works. Like if I can maybe just tell everybody something here. 27 years of walking with Jesus, I've seen God come through more times than I, I'm going to get Southern here, more times than I can shake a stick at. Whatever that means. 
I've seen him come through again and again and again, but I want you to know something today. Every miracle that I've experienced in 27 years, it's always come from another person or through another person. Always. Like I have never, ever, I've never found a pot of rain, you know, a pot of gold within the rainbow. I've never found a tree with money on it. Like literally, it has always been God speaking to someone, them obeying, and them giving us something. That's how the kingdom works. Now, now let, me, let me show you some pretty cool promises from God here, okay? In fact, if you can just jot this down, if you want to go read a chapter in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, like read it and get it in you. Read it, read it, read it, read it until it gets in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let me show you this promise from God. It says, it is God who gives seed. In context, uh, the whole chapter is about money. So that's what the seed is. It is God who gives money to the man or the woman for what purpose? To plant, to give, to sow, right? And then it says this, he also gives the bread to eat. What does that mean? It means he gives you what you need to meet your needs. And then it says this, it says, then we know he will give more seed to plant and make it grow so you will have more to give away. What's he saying? He's saying, if you plant it, he multiplies it. And then it says in verse 11, it says, God will give you enough so you can always, somebody say always. So you can always give to others. So going back to that story, like when that, when that couple received that large check, man, they had the opportunity to ignore that holy nudge. Right, and, and they could have just went and did whatever they wanted to and spent all the money on themselves. But according to what we just read, man, if they did that, they would have eaten the seed that God gave them to give. Like we do realize the purpose of seed, you plant it and it produces something, right? And so if I have a, if I have a bucket full of corn seeds and I eat them all versus planting them, what kind of harvest am I gonna get? This is pretty simple, right? But, but here's what's so cool about this couple. Rather than being takers, they decided as the Lord led them to give that money away and it became the answer to someone else's prayer. Because they planted that seed, because watch it, according to what we just read, because they planted that seed, it allowed God to have the opportunity to fulfill this promise, which was what? To multiply their seed. So they sowed it into someone else's life. And what happens is, according to what we just read, is when that seed is planted, guess what? It returns something to us, right? And that something may be bread that meets our needs. But guess what? If we keep sowing, there's going to be times where God gives us more seed so we can continue to give it away. It's why I said this. If you can get it in your hand and through your hand, he'll keep putting it in your hand. Right? See, there's this undeniable principle that a lot of people in church are uncomfortable with. But it starts, I think it's Genesis 8, I believe. And it goes all the way through the Bible. You see it with the widow of Zarephath. You see it with the boy that gave Jesus the fish and bread. Like there's example after example after example after example in the Bible. And it's called this, seed time and harvest. What you plant will produce a harvest. Amen? Amen. See, that's why Paul said this. Look at, basically rewind a few verses to verse 6. He said, remember this, like, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
See, I spent a part of my life living on a farm. And, and here's what I know, man. If you go out there and you plant, you know, whatever, a little 10 by 10 versus if you go plant basically a football-sized field, what's going to produce more harvest? The place you put more seed. It's really simple, right? So, so to understand that what we're reading today, man, it's a promise from God. It's not from Quentin. It's not from a church. not from a denomination. It is from God himself that he said this, man, I promise you, if you sow, you will reap. Yes. But we have to understand on the flip side, guess what? There's an equal promise that if we don't sow, we won't reap. It's just as true. Yes. That was a good place to say Amen. <laughs> So this is the good news in all this because, you know, we're talk, we, we, we sang about the Father a while ago. Like we got to understand that, that he's a good God, right? And that he actually wants to prosper us. Like that he delights in the prosperity of his servants, right? That he wants to prosper us, but we have to come to the revelation that our prosperity begins with our seed. So let me just say this we move on. I understand that everybody doesn't like that. I can understand that, but I didn't write that. Okay, that's how the kingdom works. And we can either argue with it, we can resist it, or we can get on board with it. Amen. All right. Now, let me show you why I think so many people uh, struggle to be generous. Number three, takers believe man is their provider, but givers know God as their source. So in my hand, I, I I got two quarters, two coins. If, uh, if, if you could look close enough, you would, you would find that both of them have uh, the same phrase engraved on it. And it's simply this, in God we trust, right? Now, the only difference between these two coins is one of them was made in, in 1993. The other one was made in 2005. The one that was made in 1993 has President Washington's face facing towards the words, in God we trust. The one that was made in 2005 actually has Washington's face turning away from in God we trust. Now, I think there's some speaking there that we need to understand. That's how our nations kind of went. And that speaks a lot, but that's not why we're here. Okay? So, another day. But I, I bring that up to, do, to simply ask you this. Is which way are you facing? Like, which way are you facing today? Because if you and I realize it or not... How we handle our money, and I'm talking about according to God's principles, that reveals not, not just our priorities and our affections, but it also reveals who we trust. See, if we trust God to meet our needs, we'll be open-handed, generous people. But, but if we view our government or our employer or our economic system or a handful of customers and clients as our source, then we're going to be tight-fisted and we're going to be takers. Right, so again, I'm just asking, man, like, like, it's only between you and Jesus. Which way are you facing? Let me give you kind of a random verse that seems kind of like out of nowhere for this, but hopefully it'll connect. It's the 2 Corinthians 8. There's a lesson here that Paul's trying to give us. It says this in verse 1. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, so he's talking to the church in Corinth. He says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. So he's saying, okay, you're in this church, but I'm about to show you what this church is doing because you need to see what they're doing. You need to learn from it. So here's what he says, verse 2. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial. So this is what the Macedonians are going through. A very severe trial. Their overarching joy 
and their extreme poverty. Like those typically don't go together, right? They're overflowing joy in their extreme poverty. Watch this. It welled up inside of them in rich generosity. Let me put it like I, I think he's saying it. In other words, these people are so full of joy, even though they were going through hell, it didn't matter. They still wanted to be generous. So it says in verse 3, it says this, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. In other words, I didn't twist their arm, right? So, so what, look what it says in verse 4. It says, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They begged us to give. Now, you look back and you go, man, how in the world could people who had so little, or as how we'd say it in the South, those who basically are so dirt poor, how could they give so much? I believe it's really simple. I think the people of Macedonia had a true revelation that their God was Jehovah Jireh, their provider. And because they believed that, they could give with confidence to knowing that if we meet those people's needs, God will meet our needs. And if you read history, the answer is yes, God came through, right? And I'm just trying to tell you today, like, we need to believe like that, that no matter whatever we face, we know who God is. Hell or high water, we can obey the word, and he's going to do what he does. He's going to be himself. It's his character. It's nature, and he doesn't change. Here's the fourth one. It kind of goes with the third one. But takers live in fear. Takers live in fear, but givers live by faith. I think all of us are pretty aware in this room that over the past few years, our, our nation has had its financial struggles. And, you know, a lot of people get ticked off about that and they want to argue and fight about all that. Um, and I get it. It is what it is. But let me say this. Even though there's people that have benefited greatly by what's taken place, uh, the common people in the nation, man, they feel the brunt of it. Right? In other words, we know that the cost of living has skyrocketed. Right? right? Like all you have to do, like I got five kids, I could testify. All you have to do is go to Walmart. Go to Hanford. Go to Shaw's, right? What, whatever used to be a certain amount that filled up that, that basket, it don't work anymore. Right? So I think this, it's like this change in the economy has not only made people, like a lot of people, angry, but it's also caused in a deeper level a lot of stress, a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety, and, and really, if I could just coin it, a lot of fear in a whole bunch of people. And that's not just people in the world, that's even people in the church, right? And that fear has caused a lot of people to choose to, who used to be open-handed, to be closed-fisted, right? Because fear's got them. Now, I want to remind you today, if you're like, man, if you're struggling and wrestling with all that, once again, arguing and fighting is not going to change it, but where you look at the promise you connect to will change it. So let me show you a verse here. Once again, we're in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. It says, and God is able, get that, God is able. Didn't say the government, didn't say your client, didn't say your friend. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that what? In all things... At all times, having all that you need, you will abound. You'll be in abundance in every good work. The Amplified Bible reads this way. It says that God will bless us with every favor and earthly blessing so that under every circumstance, regardless of the need, he will take care of us. So much so that not only will our needs be met, but we'll have enough to be a blessing to others. That's kingdom. So the point is this, is man, it's like God's people, 
When, when times get tough, they may get tougher. I don't know. But the reality is, is however tough they get, we can't shrink back in fear. We need to step forward in faith because we believe God. Amen. See, I've met so many people over the years. They say this. Uh, they say, well, when I, when I make more money, I'll start to give. I'll give when I have enough. I'll give when I'm out of debt. I'll give when my bank account reaches X amount of dollars. And, and this may seem like such a, a weird way of looking at it, but that's almost like a single guy saying this, well, I'm going to get married when I, when I become the perfect husband. Yeah. Good luck, Jack. Yeah. As the ladies can testify. Right? And, and it's like, or it's like a, a woman saying, you know what? Well, I'm going to have kids when I know that I'm the perfect mom impossible so my, my point is if I can reel that in is every time I've heard somebody say I will give when those people typically don't ever give unless Jesus really steps in they, they, they don't normally give and the reason is it's because even though more money comes they either go get themselves some more debt or they just start spending more and so they don't have right it, it requires a heart change so but I, but I want you to know that like man if we're going to if we're going to be kingdom people then we got to just know that, man, that like, once again, like we got to do what God said to do to the best of our ability. And then we leave the rest up to him. Like, let me give you, let me give you a, a, a promise that we in the church quote in the wrong places all the time. I think it's applicable, but we still quote in the wrong places. It's this. The Bible says that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I think most time like people don't even know the context of that verse. If you go read the verse, it actually says, do not be covetous, be content. Why? Because he'll never leave you nor forsake you. In context, it is talking about money. <laughs> that God is saying when you do it his way, don't worry, I won't leave you in that. If you do it my way, I'll take care of you. Amen. Let me give you a personal story here, if I can. Just trying to show you, man, fear can, fear can grab you. Okay, it's this point of this is when we, when we came to the church about eight and a half years ago, and I don't want to go into a bunch of details, but uh, the, the truth is when we got here, the financial situation of this church was, was in a really bad situation. And there was a certain person who, you know, in all honesty, if he wasn't here, the doors wouldn't have been opened. Like this guy was carrying the church. And, and so from a really good heart, because he's a believer and he's a giver, he, he would come to me on a consistent basis and he would say, hey, Quentin, look, you need to remember to take time and you need to talk about the importance of giving and you need to take an offering. You need to make sure you do that. And so he'd tell me that again and again and again and again. But what he didn't know, you know, we're going to meetings and I'm looking at the bottom line and I'm not seeing that thing shift. But he kept saying that to me, and I kept trying my best, and y'all know I don't really like talking about money. So I felt awkward, and it probably was awkward to hear it and all that stuff, right? But, but even though I didn't say anything to anyone, the following months, what started happening was, is I, that, that pressure inside started to build so much that I started having nightmares where, where I would see myself, uh, you know, in this spot, and then I would wake up, and, and the, the thing in my head was is that you forgot to take the offering, and it sounds so silly, but, but I would, I mean, literally would pop out of bed, sweating, my heart pounding, and fear like all over me, right? And so, 
a few months went by and that would happen periodically. And, uh, and you, you know, basically I started questioning. I started questioning the Lord. We'd be in worship and, I, and I'd be over there asking the Lord, man, if he called me here to fail. Right? Like, because things weren't getting better just beyond the bottom dollar. Like it didn't seem like things were changing. And I started to wonder if, okay, maybe, maybe I miss God. Maybe I'm not the right guy. Maybe I'm not cut out for, for these priestly duties. And, uh, you, you know, like, like, maybe, like maybe I need to resign so the church can get somebody in here better. And I just need to call my old, my old pastor up and just say, hey, man, you, you still have a job for me. And maybe I just need to go back to North Carolina. So that was kind of the, the spot I was in, like a dark cloud over me. And, and uh, one, one Sunday morning, uh, Jennifer uh, led a song, and they had been wanting to do it for a while. And, uh, and I wasn't really for the song, and I finally said, yeah, you can do it, uh, whatever. So they did the song, and I was sitting over here, and, the, and they started singing the lyrics. And, uh, and the Lord began to speak to me, and he said this. He said, Quentin, I haven't called you here to fail. And he just said these simple words, I got your back. And how many of you guys know Jesus can say something really brief, and it means something so deep? And I just started weeping. I, I mean, like literally over there just crying. Everybody else is just, because they don't have a clue this is going on with me. My wife didn't even know, right? And, and, and in fact, what happened was, is I'll say this, is even in the middle of all of that, uh, I, went, I went out of town to a conference, and she was kind of running the transitions in the service. And the first thing I asked her outside of how did it go, did you take an offering? And she said, oh, I forgot. And we had a fight. Not because I was mad at her. It was the pressure that I was under and the fear that had me. That's how I responded to her, right? In such an unhealthy way. And, and it's God because he's got a great personality. The next week, you know, I'm back. You know? <laughs> And I preach, and we go home, and I remember about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I didn't take an offering. <laughs> yeah. But here's what's awesome. On that day, I'm over here crying, and what I didn't know is that there's somebody that came into sanctuary that day, and, uh, and they put a check in the offering box that, and I can't remember, I, it, it was either forty, fifty, or $60,000. And what was so awesome is, is, is I, as I left that day with the knowledge of that, I actually found that out, I think, on Monday. And, uh, but that was the weekend where literally fear was broke off of me, and I could finally come to the understanding, okay, this is, this is God's house. It's his problem. It's not mine. I got to do my part. He'll do his. But something shifted in my heart that I got out of a position of fear and I got in a position of faith and it allowed me to live in that spot, which was a whole lot of rest and a whole lot more peace. And what was so cool from that place, we didn't talk money. We didn't do anything. And one day I got to step here and say, hey, guys, we bought the building this weekend because God started turning things around. He started moving in people's hearts and they started giving and it allowed us to buy a place, which it was cheaper to own the place than it was to rent the place. Amen? All right, let me give you the fifth one. This is my favorite one out of all of these. Takers act like owners, but givers act like stewards. All right, I want to do something, okay? I, I'm intentionally open and honest and vulnerable with you because I believe, A, that's kingdom. But, but secondly, I, I just think, man, how can I ever ask you guys to be vulnerable and honest if I'm not? 
So I've been pretty honest with you throughout this series, okay? So I want to ask you guys to be honest with me. I think some people have today. I don't think everybody has, but it's okay. Um, I appreciate the people's courage that were. If you're sitting here today and you're like, PQ, I kind of struggle with this, with this generosity giving thing. Like, and I'm going to go ahead and say it. If you don't tithe, you don't give up, that's you. Okay, I'll say that. But, but if you're like, man, I struggle with blessing other people and I struggle with giving. Man, if that's you, raise your hand, please. Awesome. Keep it up, please. Keep it up. Awesome. No, come here. All right, I'm, I'm going to give Noah $100 really quick, and I'm going to ask Noah to do me a favor. Hold that. So here's what I want you to do, man. I want you to, to just quietly in your heart ask the Lord who he wants you to give that money to, and I want you to walk in and give it to him and come back up here. Awesome. Laney, come up here. Watch this. Yeah, step here. All right, now I want you to do the same thing. I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, who do you want me to give this money to? And just give it somebody. Just who sticks out to you. Awesome. Come up. Stay up here, Laney. All right. Who's the Lord want you to give it to? All right. Cat, come up. Survey the room. Who do you want to give it to? Awesome. Stay there, Pat. It's yours. So I have a question for these guys. Y'all ready for my question? How easy was it to give away my money? <laughs> Not hard. Not hard. No. Was, it, was it difficult? No. no. How, how, pretty easy? Mm-hmm. Pretty easy. The, the, here's kind of one. It was pretty tension-free, and, and I hope it was kind of fun. Right, Because part of it is I want these guys to understand what the Bible says in Acts 20, verse 35. It's where Paul says, remember what Jesus said. It is more blessed to than to receive. See, 1 Chronicles 29, 14. Let me give you one more verse and I'll put a little bit more context on this. David talking. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? He's like, man, I can't believe it that we've been able to be this giving. This is everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. God, we have given back to you only what comes from you. We're just turning around giving it to you. See, the point is this. It's like if we're going to become the cheerful givers that God has called us to be, then we need to shift our minds from ownership mentality to stewardship mentality because the money that we have isn't our resources, it's his. And when we get a revelation of that, I believe that internal battle that we fight between being a giver and a taker, man, it just kind of goes away and giving becomes easy and it becomes fun. Am I making sense? Now, let me, let me give you some context because several of y'all raised y'all's hands. Let me, let me say this. Two days ago, I was working on all this. And, you know, basically what happened was, as I sat down and I wrote a bunch of things down, I thought, takers of this, givers of this, and I had about, about 15 of them, and I just kind of pulled out the few that were really popping out to me. And, and I heard the Lord say that he wanted me to do what we just did. And, and I was like, uh. <laughs> Literally, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm just being honest with you. I was like, that's my money. <laughs> I was like, Lord, there's three services. <laughs> 
truth. And, and I was like, man, maybe I could do it this way, maybe that way. And then you, you ever had God talk to you and you didn't like what he was saying? And so you're like, eh. You're trying to find like, maybe, maybe I can do 50 bucks. Maybe I can. <laughs> I'm just being honest, right? And I thought, okay, okay, I can tell Jen. I can tell Jen. I was like, no, that won't work. She'll tell me to do it. <laughs> it's like, oh, right. So what happened was, is man, I was, I was trying to ignore the Lord for hours. And it kept coming up. And I thought, okay, well, if it's there tomorrow, it kept coming up. I was like, okay. And I finally, what, what I had to admit to myself is, Quentin, you got a problem. You have a problem being a giver when it's not convenient. And I was like, okay. And I finally had to say, okay, Lord, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in, God. We can do this. I can't preach this and not believe this and not practice it. I'm in, right? And, and so at that point, though that angst that I had in my heart shifted, and this, I'm, I'm telling y'all, man, I've been, I've been preaching for a long time. I don't think I've ever felt as much peace as I felt yesterday at any point working on the sermon. And what happened was is that peace moved from being frustrated struggling, peace, and then I got excited. Because this, because then it came this prayer, this is what I'm going to pray for all of us in this minute, is I asked the Lord last night, Lord, I pray that when this happens, that that thing on me is broken off of me. Can I tell you all something pretty cool? Here's what's awesome in the first service, we did that, right? And I didn't really know how we were going to do it. Okay, okay, Lord, we'll be stopping, we'll be done, you know, right? And, um, and a person got it, and uh, they came to me after service, and they said this. They tried to give it back to me, and I said no. And, uh, but they said, I, I recently found out, whatever, that there was this person that was in need. And so I, I, they said they felt like the Lord told them to give them, the people $100. And the comment back to the Lord was, God, I don't have $100. But they gave anyways. And look what God did this morning. He gave it right back. I'm like, God, you're cool, right? Yeah. Amen. All right, last point. This is the kick in the teeth. Y'all ready? This is sobering. I'm not going to lie to you. Number six, if you're taking notes, takers act like the devil, but givers act like God. Takers act like the devil, but givers act like God. Think about it, man. The devil is the greatest taker creation's ever known. He was given a place of honor in heaven, but because of his pride, what did he try to do? He tried to take God's glory, and from that position of pride of doing that, it got him booted out of heaven. And, and biblically, man, ever since he was thrown down from heaven like lightning, he has tried his best to take from God's creation through stealing, killing, and destroying. He is the greatest taker ever, right? But on the other hand, we know that God's the greatest giver, creation has ever known. In fact, the most well-known verse in the Bible for those who are saved or unsaved is what? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave, right? So it's this understanding that, that, that I think we can all agree that God, basically his generosity reaches beyond our ability to understand. Like he, he blesses us more than just giving us his son, but he continues to bless us daily in more ways than you and I could ever even count, right? And so there's this understanding that when you and I operate from a taker mentality that we're actually walking in the opposite spirit of the one who saved us, right? But when we choose to be a giver, 
We become more like God than any other point of our lives. And the reason is because generosity requires love. Right? Going back all the way to say, well, what was the transformation that happened? Remember what the Bible says. How does one know that they pass from life to death? Because they love the brethren. That's why immediately when you got saved, you begin to see people and there's something that moved in your heart of compassion and mercy and you actually wanted to bless other people. It was that process. Amen? Amen. Amen. So is there anybody in the room today that says, man, I, I need to be more of a giver than I am? Anybody with me? I'm lifting my hand. Okay, amen. Can y'all stand to your feet? Let's pray. I hope this series has blessed you. I hope it's challenged you and I hope it's built your faith because it definitely has mine. Y'all survived. Yes. <laughs> amen. Let me pray for you really quick. Father, I thank you for every person that's here. God, I thank you that they themselves are a gift to the kingdom. Lord, I thank you, God, that you have given us such a generous church God, there's so many generous people here, but Lord, we're asking, God, that you would continue to increase our ability to think like you and to act like you. Father, we pray today that any, any spots in us where there's still that taker mentality, Lord, we ask, God, that you would take the sword of the Spirit and you'd been to kill that. And Lord, we pray that you would breathe your life into the pieces of us that have your heart and act like you where we're actually givers. Lord, I pray, God, for us that we would be extravagant, outrageous givers. God, that we would be people that live with open hearts and open hands. God, I pray that we would understand that you as God, you are our Jehovah Jireh and our provider. God, and we would understand today that your kingdom has a way of living. And Lord, help us be kingdom people. Lord, just help us be kingdom people. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.